Northside, we value radical generosity. We believe the giving of our financial resources is both a wonderful privilege and a tremendous responsibility. Therefore, we should strive to grow in the grace of giving. When we're obedient in our giving, we will be able to carry out the mission of the church and the ministry to the church. We serve a generous God. Everything that we have belongs to Him, and we want to be good stewards. Have you ever noticed how kids have a very possessive view of life? They see things in terms of my and mine. Several years ago, I I found the toddler's property rules. Listen to what it says. If I like it, it's mine. If it's in my hand, it's mine. If I can take it from you, it's mine. If I had it a little while ago, it's mine. If it's mine, it must never appear to be yours in any way. If it just looks like mine, it's mine. If I'm doing or building something, all the pieces are mine. If I saw it first, it's mine. If you're playing with something and you put it down, it automatically becomes mine. If it's broken, it's yours. We grow up with this possessive view of life. Think about it for just a minute. You spend thousands of dollars to have a baby and get that baby home from the hospital. You buy that baby diapers and clothes and food. You give it a crib to sleep in. You provide a room for it to live in. As that baby gets a little bit older, you buy it toys to play with. And some of the first words you hear out of that little kid's mouth is, that's mine. As they grow up, you take them to Chick-fil-A and get them a Happy Meal. You buy them some nuggets and some waffle fries. And and on the way home, you grab into the, the, um, the bag and you get you one of those nuggets. And you take that nugget and you put it in your mouth. And from the back seat, you hear this voice, hey, wait a minute. That's mine. That's mine. Your kid grows up, they get a little bit older, and as they get a little bit older, their their toys get a little bit more expensive. And everybody has a Nintendo Switch, and your kid wants a Nintendo Switch. And so you buy them a Nintendo Switch, and one day they're at their friend's house, and you and your spouse decide, we're going to play that Nintendo Switch. You're sitting down there in the in the family room playing the Nintendo Switch and in walks your child and they look at you and they look at the TV and they go, hey, wait a minute, that's my Switch. They grow up and they continue to get older and it seems like every single dollar you make is used to buy them food and clothes, but you love them and that's okay with you. You, you give them a room and you let them decorate that room You let them to have that room the way they want to have that room. One day while they're in school, you go into their room. And it's an ever-loving mess. It's a pigsty. It's a pig pen. I mean, there's there's clothes all over the floor. There's a half-eaten sandwich on the dresser. 
<laughs> you look in the closet, and there's something that can only be described as a, a science project growing in the corner of the closet. And while you're still there in the room, your child walks in and goes, hey, wait a minute. This is my room. And I could go on and on talking about this. Your, your kid never makes a single house payment. Your, your kid never buys a single outfit. Your kid never pays for their own food. And yet they see everything in terms of my and mine. Halloween is a perfect example. You as parents take your kids out on Halloween trick-or-treating to your friends and family's house and they get bags and bags of candy, enough candy to keep them on a sugar high for weeks and months. And, and as you're sitting down looking at all the candy that, that they, have, they have gotten that's going to hold them for a long, long time, you spot a Snickers bar. And oh man, you love Snickers. And you reach into the bag and you grab that Snickers bar and your kid goes, wait a minute, that's my candy. And they forget that you're the one that took them out in the first place. They forget that you're twice their size. I mean, you could take their candy if you wanted to. They forget that you have enough resources to shower them with candy every day of every week of every month for years and years and years. They forget all of that because they see the world in terms of my and mine. But you need to understand it's not just kids that do that. We as adults do that. We think that everything that's in our possession, everything that we have control over, everything that's in our bank account is, is ours. It's mine. We've all heard the J.G. Wentworth commercial. It's my money, and I need it now. But listen, that's a lie. It's not true. And it's one of the first lies that we believe and we embrace. It's one of the first phrases that come out of our mouth. I'm not sure we're even told it. I, I think we just learn it because it's part of our nature. Now today, we're starting a three-part series that we are calling The Steward. But I'm afraid that as we get started in this series that I need to clear something up. Because most often when we hear that term steward or stewardship, we think about giving. We're going to have a stewardship campaign. That means we're going to encourage you to give money. But understand stewardship is not about giving. Stewardship is about managing it's about managing the resources that God has put into our care. And over the next several weeks, we're going to look at how we, as God's people, are called to manage the resources that he has entrusted us with. Now granted, one of the primary things that you and I are called to manage are the material resources, the, the money that God puts into our care. Now, you may find it surprising, but Jesus talked more about money than any other single topic when he was here on earth. In the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, one out of every six verses deal with money. There are 500 verses in the Bible that talk about prayer. Prayer is a big deal. There are 2,500 verses in the Bible that speak of money. 
how we are to use it, and how we abuse it. Now listen, the Bible doesn't talk about money that much because God's obsessed with money. The Bible talks about money so often because God knows that we can become obsessed with money. One of the primary ways that Jesus taught when he was here on earth was in parables. Parables are an earthly story that have a heavenly or eternal meaning. 16 out of the 34 parables Jesus told had to deal with money. Now, some of the parables Jesus told were cut and dry. They were easy to understand. But then there were other parables that Jesus told that, to be quite honest with you, were difficult to understand. They were hard to understand. And the one I want us to focus on this morning is one of those difficult to understand parables. To be honest with you, I believe that the parable that we're going to look at today is the most puzzling of all the parables Jesus told. And so if you have a Bible, I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, we're going to start with verse 1. And the parable we're going to look at as we start this series called The Steward is the parable of the unjust steward, the unrighteous steward. Because the main character in this story is a despicable guy. He is an unrighteous steward. Now, if your Bibles are open, you'll notice in verse 1, Jesus began with these words. It says, Jesus told this story to his disciples. Now, this is important to us because Jesus at this point is not talking to the crowds. Jesus is not talking to his critics. He is talking to his disciples. He is talking to those who are following him. Now, this is important because you need to understand that this story is not for the people in the world. This story is for those who are already followers of Jesus. So let me tell you the story. There was this rich man. He was very rich. And he had this property manager who managed all of his assets for him. One day, the rich man got news that his property manager was squandering, was wasting his assets. And so he called the property manager in and he said, you've got to get all of my affairs in order and give me an account of them. And once you give me an account of them, you are fired. Well, this property owner was distraught. I mean, he was about to lose his job, which was a very good job. And he was thinking, what in the world am I going to do? He thought to himself, I, I'm not strong enough to dig ditches. I, I'm too proud to beg. What am I going to do? And so all of a sudden, the light bulb clicked in this, this guy's brain. He said, I've got a plan. I've got an idea. And here was his idea. He brought in all of the people who owed his owner money. One of them owed a thousand gallons of olive oil. He said, you owe a thousand gallons of olive oil or 800 gallons of olive oil? Here, pay 400 gallons. Another person owed a thousand bushels of wheat. He said, you owe a thousand bushels of wheat? You pay only 800. You see, what he was doing is he was making friends with his owner's debtors so that they would be good to him when he was fired. Now, when the rich man heard this, the Bible says that he admired 
the dishonest manager for what he did. Did you get that? The rich man admired what the dishonest manager did. Now you're thinking, what in the world did this story have to do with us today? And how can we learn from a dishonest steward? Well, what I believe we learn from this story and what Jesus tells us after the story are three timeless principles and three applications. That if we understand these, they will transform the way that we look at things. Now, here's principle number one. It's the stewardship principle. And the stewardship principle says God is the owner. We are his property managers. Let me say that again. The stewardship principle that the Bible teaches is that God is the owner and we are his property managers. Look, look at verse 1. In the New American Standard Version, it says this, And he said unto all his disciples, There was a certain rich man who had a steward. Now, the two truths are these. God owns everything. God owns everything. Several years ago, uh, there was an interview that Will Smith gave. And, and while he was being interviewed by this interviewer, the person said to Will Smith, when did your kids realize they were rich? And Will Smith said, oh, time out. My kids aren't rich. I'm rich. And then he said, sometimes I allow my kids the right to use some of my riches. But it's not their riches. It's my riches. And when it comes to God and things, you need to understand no matter what you have, you're not rich. You're not the owner. God is rich. And he is allowing you to use some of the things that he has. Now, the Bible makes it clear from cover to cover that God owns everything. In Psalm 24, verse 1 it says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Now, let me ask you a question. When you read that phrase, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, what does that entail? Everything, right? Everything belongs to God. The world and all its people belong to him. The earth is the Lord's, everything in it, the world, and all the people in the world belong to God. Haggai chapter 2 verse 8 says, the silver is mine, the gold is mine declares the Lord. Deuteronomy chapter 10 verse 14, I read this in my devotional reading two days ago. It says, look, the highest heavens and the earth and everything in it all belong to the Lord your God. Psalm 89 verse 11, the heavens are yours, the earth is yours, everything in the world is yours, you created it all. Think about it for just a moment. Before God created the world and everything in it, there was nothing. Before God made everything, there was nothing. When you came into the world, you had nothing. When you leave this world, you will have nothing. Everything I have, everything you have comes from God and belongs to God. It is a gift from a good, loving, generous God who personally loves you like his very own child. C.S. Lewis said it this way in his book, Mere Christianity. He said, every faculty you have, your power of thinking 
or of moving your limbs from moment to moment is given to you by God. If you devoted every moment of your whole life exclusively to his service, you could not give him anything that was not in a sense his already. Larry Burkett said this. He said, when you acknowledge God's ownership, every spending decision becomes a spiritual decision. The simple truth, that simple truth, will change everything when it comes to the way you live and the way you give. When you understand that you aren't the owner, God is, it changes the way you look at everything. The first thing under the stewardship principle, God is the owner. The second truth under this stewardship principle is we are his property managers. Now the word for steward in verse 1 is the Greek word oikonomos. It comes from two Greek words, oikos, which means house, and nomos, which means law. When you put those words together, it means someone who has been given the legal right to manage someone else's assets. They are their steward. They are their property manager. This person was literally given legal control over an owner's estate. This was a common practice in Jesus' day. The steward controlled the owner's assets. The steward represented the owner in any business transaction. It was the job of the steward to effectively and profitably manage the owner's assets. Now, here's the thing you need to understand. This is a picture of every single person on planet Earth. We are stewards of everything and owners of nothing. The Bible makes it clear that we are stewards of everything. God is the owner of everything. For example, you are a steward of the time that you have. And so, you need to use your time wisely. You are a steward of the gifts and the abilities you have. Therefore, you need to leverage them for the glory of God. You are a steward of the good news, the gospel of Jesus. Therefore, you need to share it with those you come in contact with. And of course, you are a steward of the money, the the material assets that God has allowed into your care. So you need to manage them in a way that honors Him and brings glory. To him, the stewardship principle. God is the owner of everything, not you. You're simply his property manager entrusted with what he has put into your care. Here's the second principle, and it's the accountability principle. We will give an accounting to God for how we use his resources. Verse 2 says this And he, the rich owner, called him, the steward, And said to him, how is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for you can no longer steward. Did you catch that? Give an account. With every blessing comes accountability. Now the truth is, many of us don't like that idea of accountability, especially when it attains to us being accountable to someone else. But the Bible makes it clear that each and every one of us are accountable to God. In Romans chapter 14 verse 12 it says, Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. One day you will stand before God. 
no matter who you are, one day you will stand before God and you will give an account of everything you did, every word you said, every penny you spent. You will give an account of your life. And that's only fair because you are God's steward entrusted to manage his resources. And so if he has given you the material blessings you have, you're going to answer for how you manage them. If he has given you the talents you have, you're going to answer for how you use them. If he's given you opportunities to share the gospel, you're going to give an account for how you share the gospel. If he's given you X amount of years, you're going to give an account for how you use that time. We're going to have to account for our stewardship. Now here's the final principle. And that is the planning principle. Write this down. To fail to plan is to plan to fail. Now listen to what it says in verses 3 and 4. The manager said to himself, what am I going to do? I've lost my job as a manager. I'm not strong enough for a laboring job. I'm too proud to beg. Ah, I've got a plan. Here's what I will do. Now, when it comes to our stewardship and our money, we need a plan. You need a savings plan. If you don't have one and you're young, start now. If you don't have one and you're old, I'm sorry. (laughs) Everybody needs a savings plan. I'm at that age right now where as I look to the future, I realize that retirement is a lot closer than it used to be. And so I really am having to work hard to make sure that I'm planning for that day when I can no longer work. A savings plan. You should have a giving plan and a spending plan. We call that a budget. A budget tells you what you make. A budget tells you what you have to spend. And you always want those numbers to even out or you want there to be more that you make than you spend. If you don't, you're in trouble. You need those kinds of plans. But this isn't the plan that Jesus is talking about here. You see, the Bible does talk about those plans in Proverbs and in other places. It tells us that we need to save wisely. The Bible tells us we need to have a plan for how we spend our resources. The Bible speaks of all of those things. But here, this is talking about foundational plans. Plans that we use to build our stewardship portfolio. And and Jesus tells us three things here that we need to apply to our life. The first thing he tells us is this. As we plan to be a good steward, we need to invest in the future. Listen to what Jesus said in verse 9. Here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your earthly possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. Now in the story, what happened was this dishonest steward was making a plan. He was giving the debtors a deal so that when he lost his job, they would give him a place to stay. That's what was true. That's what was wise. That's what the rich man was commending. But what Jesus says here is that the lesson is this. When all your earthly possessions are gone, 
You want to know that you have stewarded what you have in a way so that people will welcome you into eternity. You see, this isn't talking about investing for our retirement. This is talking about investing in eternity. The Bible makes it clear that each of us need to invest our resources in eternal things. Jesus said this in Matthew 6. He said, don't store up treasures here on earth. Store up treasures in heaven. Now, that's not saying don't save because in other places we're told we need to do those things. But what he is saying is the temporal is not what's most important. The eternal is what is most important, and we need to make sure that we prepare for eternity. So how do we invest in eternal things? Well, we invest in what is eternal. And there are two things that are eternal. One is the souls of mankind, because the Bible says God created us to live forever. Everybody is going to live forever in a place called heaven or a place called hell. Second, we invest in the Word of God. The Bible says the grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of God shall stand forever. And so we need to make sure that when it comes to our resources, we are investing in those things that will stand the test of eternity. So we invest in the proclamation of the Word of God. We invest in getting the Word of God into the hearts of people so that they will become the people of God so that when we die and we cross from this life into the next life, there will be people at the gates ready to welcome us in. Now, what does that mean? It means that we have used our resources in such a way that when we die, there will be people in heaven waiting to thank us for investing our resources in eternal things. Think about it. Think about stepping out into eternity and there being people there at the gates of heaven you've never seen people in Baltimore who come to you and say thank you because you invested in the ministry of Northside and Northside invested in a church plant in Baltimore. I heard the gospel and my life was changed. Think about it. People in India and in Egypt you've never seen come up to you and they say thank you because you invested in the ministries of Northside the gospel was shared, and my life was changed, and I'm here because you invested. You can invest through your words. You can invest through your money. You can invest in a variety of ways, but we invest our resources in a way so that when we get to heaven, there will be people there welcoming us in. Invest in the future. Here's the second thing Jesus said. Be faithful with what you have. You see, giving is not about what you have as much as it is in who you are. Our giving exposes our heart. Can I say that again? Giving is not so much about what you have as it is about who you are. Our giving exposes our heart. Listen to what Jesus said in verses 10 through 12. He said, if you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. 
But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you're not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? We talk in terms of if only. If only I had this, then I would give. If only I had this, then I would give. But here's the thing. If we aren't giving now like we're supposed to, then we will never give if the if only's ever come true. I heard a story about this preacher was out in the country and he was going and talking to people and he went and talked to his, one of his farmers who was a member of the church and he said, Joe, he said, if you had two cows, would you give one of your cows to the Lord? He said, absolutely, I'd give one of my cows to the Lord. He said, Joe, if you had two goats, would you give one of your goats to the Lord? He said, absolutely, I'd give one of my goats to the Lord. He said, Joe, if you had two pigs, would you give one of your pigs to the Lord? He said, I'm pretty sure that's not fair. You know I have two pigs. And, and that's how we are, isn't it? We like to talk about if I had this, then I would give this. But the Bible says, if I am not faithful when I have a little, I can't be trusted to have a lot. Here's what I believe. I believe with all my heart, the reason that my wife and I are blessed like we are today is because when we first got married and we had absolutely nothing, we committed to be faithful. And I think that God has blessed that and I think if you sat down with any of our children and talked to them about that, they would say, that's why my parents are blessed. They were faithful. They put first things first. And because of that, God has entrusted them with more things. Here's what I know. If you're faithful with the little bit that God puts in your hands, he's going to put more in your hands so that you can be faithful with a whole lot more. And when you do that, you'll be honoring God. Here's the third truth. Put th first things first. Verse 13. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate the one, love the other. You'll be devoted to the one, despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Money reveals your master like few things do. I want to share a true story with you that I read this past week. It's first hand, so I'm going to read it from his perspective. The person said this, when I lived in Atlanta several years ago, I noticed in the yellow pages in the listing of restaurants an entry for a place called Church of God Grill. The peculiar name aroused my curiosity and I dialed the number. A man answered with a cheery hello, Church of God Grill. I asked how his restaurant had been given such an unusual name and he told me. He said, well, we had a little mission down here and we started selling chicken dinners after church on Sunday to help pay the bills. Well, people liked the chicken and we did such a good business that eventually we cut back on church services. After a while, we just closed down the church altogether and kept on serving the chicken dinners and kept the name we started with, Church of God Grill. And I think that's what some people do. You see, when we don't keep first things first, we're going to discover that those secondary things become the first things in our life. We've got to put God first. We don't give God our leftovers. We don't give to God after everything else has been done. No, we put God first. We keep God first. And when we do that, God will bless. Now, remember when we started in verse 1, Jesus told a story to his disciples. This story was to his disciples. Now, when we come to the end of the story, it says in verse 14, 
the Pharisees, who dearly loved their money, heard all this, and they scoffed at him. Did you hear that? This story was for the disciples, people that knew him, people who were following him, people that understood his heart. But when the Pharisees heard the story, they scoffed, they mocked, they laughed. Why? Because they didn't understand. They loved their money. You see, the way that we steward our resources will reveal what's important to us. Mark my word. Write it down. If you want to know what your heart looks like, one of the places you can look is your checkbook. And it will reveal your heart. What does your checkbook say about your heart? I want you to bow your head with me. Close your eyes. With your head bowed, with your eyes closed, here's what I know. You'll never have a desire to put God first with your finances until you've experienced his grace and his mercy in your life. And so if you're here and you haven't, I want to invite you right here, right now, to give your heart and life to him. Because you can't outgive God. And the greatest thing he's given you is eternal life and an eternal home with him forever. That's better than any eye has ever seen or ear or has ever heard or mind could even conceive. Don't miss out. So if you're here and you've never given your heart and life to Jesus, I beg you right here, right now, humble yourself before God. Acknowledge your sin. Cry out to him for mercy, trusting Jesus to be your Savior, what he did on the cross to save you. Surrender your life to him. Let him save you. Father God, this is your day. And I pray that you'll have your way in each of our lives. Lord, I pray that none of us here will leave here without fully surrendering our all to you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.